there's a beauty in a fresh start. My wife loves a new school year. I think I've told you this before. She, she actually likes the beginning of the week because it's a chance to begin again. Fresh starts, new beginnings happen in the church for several reasons. And maybe it's a new pastor or a staff member uh, or a new event or a new program or a restart like a Wednesday night meal. <laughs> Those are good things. They can bring a new wave of energy, a new wave of interest. And these are good. But however, these things, they, they tend to have a window of time. But there's one event which will go the furthest and go the longest, and that's when God is on the move. God blessing and starting, or in, or in some cases restarting a church. When God brings revival to the body of Christ, that's, that's the very best example of a fresh start because it involves people having fresh beginnings. In Acts chapter 11, we see a fresh start for the church. We, we witness God on the move following some, some upending events. We, we saw Stephen, the first deacon of the church, we saw him arrested on, on false charges and stoned to death in, in Acts chapter 7. If you remember before he was converted to the Christian faith, the Apostle Paul, or as we are still seeing him in Scripture and calling him Saul, Saul was present at the murder of Stephen. And Acts chapter 8 began this way, that Saul approved of putting Stephen to death, and on that day a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, the home church, the headquarters. A persecution begins and they are all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And those who have been scattered, they are going through places preaching the word. Jesus gave them the great commission to go and make disciples and so they're doing that. And this morning we pick up in Acts chapter 11 verse 19. Those who were scattered... Because of this persecution, they, they make their way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. I want you to remember Antioch. And they're speaking the word to Jews, only Jews at first, but some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they come to Antioch and they begin speaking to the Greeks. There's Greek-speaking folks from Cyprus and they're in Antioch and so there's a common language in which to share the gospel. God is on the move. And these disciples, yes, they're taking heed of the Great Commission. And what we see in 21 is that the hand of the Lord is with them. And a large number who believe what they say about Jesus, they turn to the Lord. The hand of God is with them. In anything we do as a church, we must not forget the sovereignty of God. Amen. And having the hand of God upon his people. A large number of people, they believe in the claims of Jesus, that his identity as the Son of God, and his ability to bring forgiveness of sins and salvation for the soul. And, and they turn from sin and they turn to the Lord. God is on the move. And the news about all of this reaches the ears of the home church in Jerusalem, the headquarters. And so what... The church in Jerusalem does, they send the man named Barnabas off to Antioch. 
Barnabas, the son of encouragement. We've seen Barnabas before. Barnabas is a disciple. We were told in Acts 4 that, that he is a Levite. He's Jewish, but he's of Cyprian birth. Barnabas is going to know the culture of the folks there in Antioch, and knowing the culture really is key to doing mission work, knowing the culture of where you're going. <laughs> Barnabas knows Antioch. If you remember Barnabas, when we first see him, he, he sells off a piece of property, and he, he takes the financial gains from this sale, and he brings, them, brings this to the feet of the apostles there in, in, in Jerusalem. He, he gives a, a legacy gift, a gift which will really outlast him brings this gift, and, and Barnabas, he goes on to welcome Saul to the church there in Jerusalem, and, and Barnabas gets Saul connected with the apostles in Acts chapter 9. Barnabas is an encourager. He loves the church. He loves the church leaders. He has their back. Thank God for those in the church who have a heart like Barnabas. They got your back. And it makes sense that Barnabas is the one whom the church sends to see what's going on in Antioch. So Barnabas arrives in Antioch and, and he witnesses the grace of God. He, and he rejoices and he begins to encourage them because that's what Barnabas does. He encourages all of them with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Barnabas rejoices. Barnabas is happy and celebrating what is going on. And the reason I mention this is because, as, as strange as it sounds, sometimes folks are not happy to be around a move of God. It can feel strange, or uncomfortable, or, or even threatening. Threatening systems maybe which have been in place for a while, I don't know. But when a move of God happens, sometimes people aren't happy. Barnabas is happy. He rejoices. And, and Barnabas, in addition, he encourages. That's what he does. That's his thing. God's people need encouragers. And he encourages them all to abide in the Lord, to remain in the Lord, to, to persevere. Why would Barnabas feel he has to do this? Well, <laughs> are there not those times when we don't feel that things are going our way? We get discouraged, and we wonder if the Lord really is for us. In our culture, we have this whole hurry-up thing. Hurry up and move, God. And we don't want to wait on a move from the Lord, which is designed to, to grow our hearts, to grow our character, to grow our faith. I'm going to say that again. Waiting on a move from God is designed to grow our hearts, to grow our character, to grow our faith. And there's a whole other sermon there. <laughs> a whole other sermon. But, but Barnabas encourages them to abide in the Lord. And he does this, it says, with intent and with purpose. Because it's like I've already said this morning, at the end of the day, it really results in not how we feel. It's a choice. This early church is going to have to choose to follow through with their abiding 
because they're not always going to feel like it, much like we don't always feel like it. But we make a choice to follow. We make a choice to trust, even when we don't understand. That's why you and I make the choice to abide in the Lord and in the things of God. We see that Barnabas is a good man. He's full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and considerable numbers are added to the Lord. Barnabas is good. Have you ever known anybody who is just good? I don't mean goody-goody. We've all known (laughs) goody-goodies. But he's just good. And he's abounding in the Holy Spirit. He, one word study of that says, is absolutely occupied with the Holy Spirit. And he's not just abounding in the Holy Spirit, he's abounding in faith. Barnabas is full of faith. And if he's full of faith, that means he's full of belief and he's full of trust. And you know, if you're full of faith and you're full of belief and you're full of trust, do you know what that means? You can be full of confidence in God. Full of confidence. What is happening here in Antioch? Considerable numbers are added to the Lord. Some of your translations say added. That verb can also be read as brought or placed or put. So what, why do I point that out? What does that imply? Somebody's doing the bringing. <laughs> Somebody's doing the bringing. Believers are bringing new people. They're inviting new people. They're connecting new people to the things of God. These believers are intentional. We saw this in the Gospel of John, this idea of come and see. Do you remember when they all are inviting other disciples or bringing these disciples to be to Jesus and say, come and see, come and see? They're not waiting to see who shows up. I mean, what if each of us brought someone? Think about it. If each of us brought one more, we'd have double what we have. Come and see. God is on the move. The church is hopping. <laughs> So what does Barnabas then do? Well, he leaves. He leaves. He leaves for the city of Tarsus. He leaves for the city of Tarsus to look for Saul. Why is Saul in Tarsus? Well, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you may remember that we've been talking about Peter. Where where has Saul been? Well, in Acts chapter 9, Saul... He, he becomes a disciple of Jesus when Jesus meets Saul on the Damascus road and he's blinded. You remember that. He stays in Damascus for about three years and he's building up the church and, and, and he's making enemies of the Jews. And they want to kill him and, because he won't stop preaching the gospel. The church helps Saul escape Damascus via this large basket dropped down outside the city wall. It's it's like something you'd see on Indiana Jones. (laughs) Well, Saul gets out of Damascus and goes to Jerusalem. And the apostles, if you remember, they're a tad distrustful of Saul because of Saul's former reputation as a persecutor of the church. And Barnabas, yes, Barnabas, comes to Saul's rescue. 
and he intercedes on Saul's behalf. And Saul is welcomed to the Jerusalem church, and so he starts preaching to those Greek-speaking Jews, the Hellenistic Jews, and he makes them mad too, <laughs> and they want to kill him. He's just making people mad left and right. Well, you know, the gospel tends to do that. Uh, Jesus did say his word would divide, didn't he? Well, the apostles, they get Saul out of town, down to Caesarea, and, and then to Saul's hometown of Tarsus, and so Barnabas is going after his old friend. Why? Well, Barnabas has the insight. With all that's happening in Antioch, he says, we're going to need some help. We're going to need some help. I'm going to go get Saul. So Barnabas finds Saul, and he brings him to Antioch. And there in 26, look, for an entire year they meet with the church and they teach considerable, there's that word again, considerable numbers of people. And the disciples are first called Christians in Antioch. Barnabas and Saul meet with this church for an entire year. Mm. God is on the move. Barnabas and Saul, they're discipling. And the new church needs to grow and, and grow healthily. You know, there's a difference in growing. There's growing and then there's growing healthily. Remember, salvation is only the beginning of the Christian life journey. Salvation is only beginning. That's, that's the start. That's not the finish. Christian life and faith skills take time and take intent we don't grow automatically. And discipling is still a big deal in the church today. If you remember what Jesus said about the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, Jesus said, that all, he said, all authority, and again, because he's worthy, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always mm, to the end of the age. Go, make disciples, baptize these disciples, teach these disciples all that I've commanded. We, we make disciples by teaching disciples all that Jesus has commanded. Jesus said this in, in John 14. He says, the one who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will reveal myself to him. But you know, we don't have to do this on our own. We have His Holy Spirit. We just saw that the disciples are first called Christians in Antioch. They're called under the name of Jesus. And these disciples who are first called Christians, the Lord Jesus is with them to the end of the age. And these first ones who are called under the name of Christ, they're no different than you and me. As the Lord Jesus is with them always, the Lord Jesus is with you and me always. As we go, as we make disciples, as we baptize and we teach and we keep His commandments, God is on the move. <laughs> I didn't get to share this first hour, but... Antioch is developing quite a reputation. And as word 
has traveled about Jesus and his ministry. Word travels about Jesus' church there in Antioch and the ministry. And, 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 and what happens, some prophets come down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, he stands up and he indicates by the Holy Spirit that there's definitely going to be a severe famine all over the world. And to the extent that any of the disciples have means, each of them determines to send a contribution for the relief of the brothers and the sisters living in Judea. They pass the hat due to a prophecy as this famine has not yet occurred. And as we've seen in the early church, those who can give, they do so, and, and they do it in order to help the brothers and the sisters in Judea. Generally, when the church responds to needs, they, they re, the church responds to needs as they arise. Be they natural disaster or emergency, war relief. But this one's different. This is forthcoming. <laughs> this hasn't happened yet, but actually in the year 45, as in A.D. 45, during the reign of Claudius, a famine will hit the areas of Judea and Syria. And that's primarily Jerusalem and Antioch. So the prophecy will come true. And it's not unlike this dream which the Lord gave Pharaoh way back in Genesis, a dream which will in turn be interpreted by Joseph, the son of Jacob, as seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Well, the church in Antioch, they, they do this, they, they send this relief effort contribution with Barnabas and Saul to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. God is on the move. This is the first time we see elders in the church. And these elders, they, these are the ones who've been discipled and they understand that the church is commissioned to go and make disciples. That's our job. That's our calling. We're called to reproduce. First called Christians in Antioch. Again, those first ones who are called under the name of Christ are just like you and me. The Lord Jesus, as He said He would be with them to the end of the age, the Lord Jesus is, is with us. The Lord is with us. The Lord is with those who've turned from sin and turned to Him. Turn to Jesus. You know, the Lord Jesus is in the business of fresh starts. The Lord draws near to those who want a fresh start, who, who want to turn from sin and, and turn to Jesus. And maybe today for some, it's not a turn, it's a it's a return. There's beauty and a fresh start. Pray with me. Lord, this morning, we, we, hear, a, we hear a story of, of you being on the move. You bringing, you reviving lives these hearts and lives dead to the things of sin. They are hearing Jesus, and we read that they hear the news about Jesus, and they turn to the Lord. And then a church begins to grow, and, and, and believers tell others who become believers who tell others who become believers, and they start 
learning about Jesus. And they start being trained with all that Jesus shared. You know, Jesus is the fulfillment of, of the law and the prophets, and, and that's what he taught. And these are learning the truth about Jesus. Why he came, what he came to take care of. He came to take care of sin. And, and they're learning his words, and they're teaching his words, and they're being discipled. Part of that message is the cross. That's where it all begins. And then we know that the cross will lead to the tomb, and then the tomb will lead to the empty tomb, and then the empty tomb will lead to the ascension, and then we await on the return of our Savior. And it's the same old story which that church in Antioch shared and told it's the same one we tell this morning here on Route 24. Jesus the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. The cross is central to who, to who we are. Our faith, the need to have our sins forgiven. Father, we're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for His cross. His cross is central to how we have to understand that we come to Jesus. We're thankful for His cross. Lord, in this season, as we approach Good Friday and we approach the power and the miracle of Easter, help keep these scenes of the cross before us so that we can live in a way that we're always mindful of the great love which Jesus has shown for us. It's in His name we pray. And we worship. Amen.